singer-songwriters Alec and Nicole McMurrin singing I Love My Library, a song they created for the Petersburg Public Library. A big thank you to Alec and Nicole. Welcome to Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson. Today we have several avid readers who have recorded book reviews of their favorite reads in 2020. Our guests are Lizzie Thompson, Rick Fish, Nate Olson, Gina Esposito, Julie Hersey, and Sue Paulson. Today's show will be archived as a podcast on the library's website at www.psglib.org, and there will be a link at kfsk.org as well. All titles and links to items discussed on today's show will be listed in the podcast description for your convenience. So let's get started. Here is Lizzie Thompson with a book review on Braiding Sweetgrass, which was also my favorite read of 2020. This summer I wanted to read something that would be soothing and that I could read one chapter at a time without having to follow any kind of complicated plot line. 
and um, a friend loaned me the book Braiding Sweet Grass. It's written by a botanist um, who is also a member of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation. And I'm going to quote Jane Goodall here. Robin Wall Kimmerer shows how the factual objective approach of science can be enriched by the ancient knowledge of the indigenous people. It is the way she captures beauty that I love the most. The images of giant cedars and wild strawberries, a forest in the rain, and a meadow of fragrant sweet grass will stay with you long after you read to the last page. She says... Robin Wall Kimmerer says, We Americans are reluctant to learn a foreign language of our own species, let alone another species. But imagine the possibilities. Imagine the access we would have to different perspectives, the things we might see through other eyes, the wisdom that surrounds us. We don't have to figure out everything by ourselves. There are intelligences other than our own, teachers all around us. Imagine how much less lonely the world would be. And I found reading the book that it's just full of such interesting wisdom that she sees in the way that plants interact with one another and cooperate with one another and speak with one another. So I highly recommend it. And I've been told that the audio version that's read by the author is excellent, that she has a very beautiful voice. Again, that's Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. I'm Rick Fish, and the book I chose to speak about is called Factfulness, Ten Reasons We're Wrong About the World and Why Things Are Better Than You Think. By a Swede. Now, for... Petersburg being a Swede is a minority, I guess, and even with my Norwegian heritage, it was an enjoyable read, to say the least. It also gives you an opportunity to look out beyond the local situation and try to look at the world as a whole. I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and one of the things that was dominating the thinking at the time was something called The Limits of Growth, written in 1972 by the Club of Rome. Very apocalyptic-sounding book, worried about population and resource limits and everything else like that. I first came across Hans Rowling on YouTube. His last name is R-O-S-L-I-N-G. If you'd like to look up some of his stuff, it's very entertaining as well as exceedingly informative. Anyway, he had developed a thing called bubble charts to demonstrate all kinds of interesting facts and trends and that sort of thing. He's a doctor in Sweden who worked abroad for many, many years in impoverished areas, one of the founders of Doctors Without Medicine in Sweden. Uh, he's unfortunately passed away, but his son and daughter-in-law are continuing his work. Initially, he'd come up with some talks about how things were and how facts that people believed were correct and what they were holding were actually misleading them. And he came up with 13 questions 
that he would ask his audiences to find out what they thought. I'm only going to share a couple of them with you. First one, in all low-income countries around the world, how many girls have finished primary school? 20%, 40%, or 60%? People in the United States, only 10% of them got that question correct. I'm not going to give you the answer. You can read the book. Another question he asked, in the last 20 years, the proportion of world population living in extreme poverty has, pro poverty, pardon me, has almost doubled, remained the same, more or less, or almost halved. Another question that I thought was interesting, there are two billion children in the world today aged zero to 15 years old. How many children will there be in 2100? according to the United Nations. Of that one, people in the United States, only 5% got it right. And this is an interesting one, because I'm going to follow up with it a little bit of interesting. How many of the world's one-year-old children today have been vaccinated against some disease? 20%, 50%, or 80%? An interesting thing now to look up is how by different sort of groups how certain people got it right. Of his audience one time about the vaccination of young children, one of the 10 biggest banks, he did a thing for their employees, 85% of them got it not only wrong, but very wrong. Another group that didn't do very well was that the World Economic Forum, where 62% of those people got it very wrong. It's not that we're misinformed, it's that we just have some interesting, incorrect facts we're dealing with. Population growth is something that he deals with, and this gave me the most satisfaction and pleasure out of the whole book. Uh, again, the limits of growth focused on population and limiting resources and how we're going to overpopulate the world to our own death and poverty. There are two billion children in the world right now, and it's going to stay that way with the current birth rates over the entire planet. Consequently, that means that ultimately the population of the entire planet will settle at around 8 billion people. Steady state. That gave me peace of mind, and I, one of the things that I got out of the books. He also points out, with some interesting graphs, some very in advantageous trends. Hunger. 25% of the world's people, I'm sorry, 28% in 1970, were undernourished. Today, it's almost only 10%, a declining trend that's very promising. Harvest per acre, hectare more exactly, thousands of kilograms per hectare went from 1.4 thousand kilograms up to four, almost a threefold increase, or a little less than a threefold increase of yield per acre. So we're not going to starve. Something about, he talks about again population-wise, over the millennia, the population of the earth 
human population had been rather steady for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It was steady. People supposedly lived in balance with nature. But his point was that we actually died in balance with nature. At that time, it's been figured out that women had, on average, six children during their lifetime, and four of them died. So the population neither grew nor shrank. Today, a terrible number. These are UN statistics from 2016, and 4.2 million babies died in 2016. That's a terrible number. 4.2 million. However, the year before, only 4.4 million had died. Back in 1950, 14 million children died in a year. 10 million more dead babies per year compared with 2016. So what does all this mean? The incentive for poor families to have large, large families is greatly reduced because the babies do survive. There are many other things he talks about. These are not just dry statistics, and this is one of the most enjoyable things about the book because it is fun to read. There are nothing's whitewashed, nothing's left out, but there are a lot of things to learn. He grew up in a fairly poor family, the first of his family to go to university. He tells interesting stories about his mother getting their very first washing machine and his grandmother sitting there all during the cycle, watching it go round and round. She'd never seen anything so much nice. But the freed up her mother, freed up her grandmother from a drudgering chore, and other things could be done. In Africa, stories about the clinics he first worked at as a young doctor, and going back years later to the same clinic and seeing how it had grown and how it was staffed with local doctors and local nurses rather than expatriates. He, leave, he gives you several tools to analyze data and statistics that you're getting. And one of the ones that I carried away with it and I still remember well today is try not to look to your past through rose-colored glasses. It was actually probably worse than you remembered it. There is fear in the future when you do not know the outcome, but once that fear is removed and the outcome has passed into your history, it doesn't look so bad now. So, a good book, a very good read, something to get away from the grim facts of the virus today and everything else and to uh, get you off the binge reading of the light stuff that I'm spending too much time on already, but Factfulness by Hans Rosling, R-O-S-L-I-N-G. If you are just joining us, this is Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson. Today we have several avid readers who have recorded book reviews of their favorite reads in 2020. Our guests are Lizzie Thompson, Rick Fish, Nate Olson, Gina Esposito, Julie Hersey, and Sue Paulson. Today's show will be archived as a podcast on the library's website at www.psglib.org, and there will be a link at kfsk.org as well. All titles and links to items discussed today will be listed in the podcast description for your convenience. 
Also happening right now at the Petersburg Public Library, the Winter Reading Challenge 2021. Read three hours a week during the month of January to be entered to win a $100 gift certificate to a local business. Get registered at www.psglib.org. Now back to our book reviews. Hi, this is Gina Esposito and Nate Olson. Hey Nate, what was your favorite book from 2020? Probably my favorite was the Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Cool, what did you like about it? Well, there's some pretty funny parts related to house elves and some pretty cool creatures like dragons. Nice. Um, What was your favorite part of the book? Well, I do like the part where Harry is facing off with the Hungarian horntail, which was really cool. Awesome. What is a Hungarian horntail? Well, it's a type of dragon that Charlie works with. Nice. Um, so, do you have a favorite character in Harry Potter? Well, that's hot, tough. Well, I like Cedric Diggory, but um, Fred and George Weasley are really funny with their gift shop. Awesome. They're hilarious. Yeah. Thanks. So of the books I read in 2020, one that stands out in my mind is Midnight in Chernobyl, the untold story of the world's worst nuclear disaster by Adam Higginbotham. So I remembered the Chernobyl disaster happening when I was a kid in the 80s and knew it was really bad. But as an adult, it's still so mysterious to me. I learned so much from this book. I definitely had to push through some of the complex text about nuclear power, but I found the history of the Soviet Union and the explosion itself and the cleanup efforts and the aftermath on the people and the Soviet and world response to the event fascinating. I definitely recommend it. I know there was also a new documentary about it, but I have yet to see it. It's on my long list of things to check out. Speaking of things to check out, I'm looking forward to reading a book called The Enchanted, a work of fiction by Renee Denfeld. I still haven't read it, but I learned about the author through this podcast that I like called This Is Actually Happening. It's in episode 123. I really recommend listening to her tell the story of her life in her own words. It's really amazing, and it touches on childhood trauma and writing and books and libraries and how she came to be a writer. And it and how she stands up for people that our society wants to disappear. It's definitely heavy at times, but it's also really uplifting. If you have time to give a listen, you will not be disappointed. So, and guess what? The Petersburg Library has copies of both my recommendations in their collection. Happy New Year, everyone. My name is Julie Hersey. One of my favorite books I've read recently, I found on the sales shelf at the public library from 2008, I believe, and it's called A Beachcomber's Odyssey, Treasures from a Collected Past by Deacon Ritterbush. And it's a memoir written by a woman who writes chapters of her life according to beaches that she walked during those chapters. And she describes the beaches and she includes pictures of beach glass and shells and driftwood and all kinds of treasures that she finds along the way. And she travels beaches all over the world from New England to Tonga 
to the Orkney Islands, and she talks about the challenges she faces in her life. It's just a delicious read and a great escape, and I suggest it to anyone who'd like to think about walking on wild beaches and finding treasures on these days here in southeast Alaska when it seems like the lid is firmly shut on the Bentwood box we live in here. Anyway, it's a great book, and I also suggest checking out the sales shelf at the library. Lots of treasures to be found there as well. And now, Sue Paulson has a whopping 10 books that were her favorite reads for 2020. So, you said you had a list of books? Yes, as you know, Kari, the age of COVID has been the age of reading, as well as many other wonderful things, but what a great opportunity to look at that bookshelf and see if you've missed anything good. And of course, go to the library and pick out something also. So um, I made a list of uh, books that I had read this past year, and I took I listed 10 that I thought really were marvelous. And of course, there are so many more, but I, I couldn't resist writing a quick review of each of these 10 books that I really liked very much in 2020. And I would recommend them highly. I'm looking over them, I see there's very little fiction here. So to each their own is all we have to say. Uh, shall I just begin? Yes, please. And I, okay. I have to say I'm a huge fan of nonfiction. Are you a nonfiction reader? I'm a nonfiction reader. Okay. Well, Mr. Neil Price, who is a leading uh, writer and archaeologist about the age of the Vikings, has written a new one. And it's the best I've ever read. The Children of Ash and Elm. And that title comes from the foundational myths of the Viking Age. All the latest on the history and culture of the Viking Age. The Ash and Elm roughs up the stereotypes and expands our view of the scope and import of the Viking Age. You'll be surprised at how shards of their culture erupt in the world we know. That one, I hope, is in the library. If not, I'll have to bring my copy. Uh, then, of course, there's always Garrison Keeler, and he has made a comeback with Lake Wobegon Virus, a much-needed masterpiece of Keeler's humor with all the usual Lake Wobegon residents present. When they catch the virus, they exhibit peculiar symptoms, uncontrolled ranting, and the inability to repress what they are really thinking. It takes a large helping of hyperbole and flights of imaginative plot to bring readers to the hope-filled conclusion. It is truly funny. <laughs> then, on the other side of the scale, we have Jill Lepore. These Truths. This is not a new book, uh, this is, but it is the first American history, uh, comprehensive American history I have read that actually includes the experiences and participation of black and brown people, women, American Indians, and immigrants in more than a token style. It's necessarily long, but takes the time to put the histories of all of our peoples together. Oh, nice. Then in a more, um, shall we say, close up uh, picture, we have Stephen Taylor with Sons of the Waves. We have seen the monuments and the movies about the Britain that ruled the waves and the wooden walls that protected that green and pleasant land in the age of sail. But here is the story from memoirs and court martial records of the ordinary seamen that made it all work. From Alaska, 
We have a new one from Heather Lendy of Haynes of Bears and Politics. Lendy's rose-colored glasses are torn off in this latest description of her life in the small Alaskan town of Haynes. Her experiences as a victim of right-wing smears and unfounded accusations illustrate the political polarity of the nation. Her candidacy for sainthood gains steam as we read of her response to the unsuccessful recall effort that leaves her on the borough assembly. Oh, I love this. See, I bought that one for my dad for Christmas. Very good. Then uh, for a practical history, Cassia St. Clair, the golden thread. They say the Viking ships were the greatest invention of their time, but here we learn the remarkable facts of the production of the woolen sails and are shown how many sheep covered the country to make them. In fact, few of the pivot points in history could have been reached without fabrics and textiles, and this is their story. I think uh, I've heard many people say they enjoyed Hilary Mantel's third volume in the life of Thomas Cromwell. It came out and was called The Mirror and the Light. Critics said it was too long. Readers said it was too short. You can cut the atmosphere with a rapier. And sadly, this final volume of Thomas Cromwell's life takes us to the well-known finale of his brilliant career. And this book by Isabel Wilkerson, cast, is on every single best books of the year list I have seen. New York Times, Washington Post, anyone you know ha who has read a lot has praised this book. Illustrating with the caste system of India and Nazi Germany's efforts to build one and plenty of personal narrative and written histories of the USA, Wilkerson explains the invisible caste system that influences our lives and the fate of our nation. She tells us what might bring hope for change. And it's, uh, as you may recall, she wrote The Warmth of Other Sons about the great migration of black people from the South to the North seeking economic opportunity and getting away from Jim Crow. This is her next book. Yeah. Then uh, going way back in history, Leo Damrosch, The Club. Prominent movers and shakers of the British Enlightenment met at the Turk's Head Tavern every Friday in the later 18th century with Samuel Johnson for debate. The debate that helped shape an age, Edmund Burke, Adam Smith, Edward Gibbon, many more. And then finally, I have to admit, this is a big, boring book, but if you have the time. Joseph Henrik, The Weirdest People in the World. This is a sociological study of the evolution of Western civilization. Uh, the author coins a new acronym, Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. Why did the West evolve this way? The Catholic Church of the Middle Ages and the Protestant Revolution, that's why. Fascinating evidence and a lot of mind-bending charts construct this thesis. <laughs> so they're, they're, everybody's got uh, their own list of what they were reading in 2020. But those were 10 that I really enjoyed. Well, thank you for sharing those with us. I'm looking forward to looking up a few of those. <laughs> Thanks. And there you have it, the favorite reads of 2020 from a few locals. Thank you to Lizzie Thompson, Rick Fish, Nate Olson, Gina Esposito, Julie Hersey, and Sue Paulson.
Thank you for joining us today. This has been Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. Today's show will be archived as a podcast on the library's website at www.psglib.org, and there will be a link at kfsk.org as well. All titles and links to the items discussed today will be listed in the podcast description for your convenience. Thank you to KFSK and the Friends of Petersburg Libraries for making today's show possible. And thank you to Alec and Nicole McMurrin for lending a helping hand with the music. So if you're on a fishing boat, or if you be towing, maybe get a book online and check it out for